Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? I'm pretty happy, Bruce, as you might (laughs) imagine. After having lobbied for, for, seems like years, but for months at least, for to see Dominic Cahoon get a try with Connor McDavid. And the dynamite line reunited. Two things happened tonight, and they both kind of worked out in a uh, six-to-one Edmonton Oilers victory over the Winnipeg Jets. So yeah, I'm exceedingly happy about that game because I really do believe Bruce that um, they haven't had great chemistry in the line top top lines, and they got it tonight. So, and I already covered one of my good things, but I'll, I'll dig into mm-hmm. it. A little <laughs> so this is our two. Two good things, two bad things, and two numbers. And because it's a Oilers win, we'll go with two good things each. Let's. Why don't you fire it up, Bruce? Fire it up. Convincing Oilers win. Six one. That. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna mix up my good things uh, just because of the way uh, they they made their impression on the game. So uh, my first good thing is going to be the big netminder Mike Smith who rebounded from a loss like he's done over and over this game on the occasions that he has lost. He's almost always bounced back with a very strong game the very next game, and he did so tonight. And he was, uh, he stopped 36 of 37 shots in what was a 6-1 Edmonton Oilers victory over the Winnipeg Jets, but this game was nowhere near as one-sided as that score indicated on flow of play. Uh, Winnipeg did have... uh, uh, times of pressure and times of bottling Edmonton up in in uh, uh, Oilers territory, and they did generate a lot of shots, including I think it was seven to two before even the first TV timeout, and that was where Smith held the fort early, and he made a couple of real big stops uh, in the early going, and a few more solid saves, and he was just seemed to be dialed in right from there and for the duration really. Uh, he was just—I thought—rock solid in his uh, in his uh, uh, in his positioning. Uh, not much in the way of bad rebounds, uh, and he—you uh, uh, know—he made a, a, a few really stellar shots or stops. And uh, as the game went in, you know, he just settled and he badly outplayed the Vezina Trophy winner in this game. We haven't had goaltending like this, Bruce, over an extended period of time since Dwayne Rollison um, in 2006, spring of 2006. Mike Smith has been that good. He's just been game after game. And he has the odd bad game, but he's just consistently really good to the point where it's almost a, we'll be almost as surprised to see him play badly uh, consistently as he had that horrible spell last year. His save percentage, hope that's not your number, um, oh. is 923, which is the seventh best save percentage for a starting goalie in the NHL. The, the top goal in the NHL is at 930, and so he's at 923. I mean, when was the last time the Oilers had a 920, a goalie who's played considerable minutes with a 923 save percentage? Javi Bulin had a nice little run there. Uh, when he came, but it was that was over about 15, 16, 17 games. Smith is now up to 26 games with a 9.23 mm-hmm. save percentage. So, 
Impressive. Bruce, my good thing is, my first good thing is Dominic Cahoon. So um, he has been kind of an, I, I would say he's had a few good games with uh, on the dry settle Yamamoto line. I don't really know why that line didn't work that well, Bruce. I know that it worked well in terms of goals for and goals against. I think they have a pretty decent goals for goals against um, at, at five on five. Uh, but it just didn't, that line never seemed to have chemistry. And I heard one suggestion was that, that essentially it was because it was just too small. You had these two small wingers and dry saddle had to be this, the physical force. Um, I think that line lacks speed, lacks speed, lacks that kind of breakaway speed and to, to open things up on the ice and dry saddle ends up slowing down when he has the puck and neither of those guys, when they get it are particularly quick with it you know Yamamoto is, is some he's a, he's above average quickness at least but Cahoon's not a very fast player and anyway it never really worked for me I was hoping to see Cahoon with McDavid because I, th- I think the kind of players who succeed with McDavid are have are smart players who don't need the puck and I think that kind of is Dominic Cahoon he he is smart defensively generally speaking he's very smart with the puck and knows how to make a good pass and um but he doesn't need the puck. He's not a like not even as much as RNH needs the puck to succeed. Cahoon doesn't really need it. He just he just really gets it and and, and passes it off and could work well, I think, with a player as fast and dynamic as McDavid, who really doesn't need um, to play with a player as who who is as skilled with the puck as RNH. Anyway, Cahoon made a number of very nice passes tonight. Uh, to McDavid, hitting him on, in stride, including one sequence where Ms. McDavid scored on a breakaway uh, play. Well, well, not really a breakaway, kind of a semi-breakaway where he comes down the wing um, and has a clear shot on net, and he makes this incredible shot on net, which you're going to get into, so I won't get into. But Cahoon's pass on that one was, was, was very strong, heads-up pass um, on McDavid's third goal third goal of the game yeah third goal of the game he kind of helped with you know he won kind of arguably won a little battle at the blue line uh where the jets player at least didn't see through him and and passed it over and mcdavid picked off the pass so a number of strong smart plays by cahoon and and who knows if this line has much of a future with pulley i just thought pulley was 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 had one of his best games of the year as well Again, we don't know if this is going to last or it's going to work. I just, what I always wanted to see is give it a try. See if it does work. So, you know, I was, before the deadline especially, I'd wanted to see it because if you're going to force a trade, maybe they never had that in mind. But they've turned to it now. It worked one game. I don't see why it can't continue to work. You have the big, forceful player in Pugliarvi. You have McDavid, who is also a, a big and forceful, extremely fast player. And Cahoon, who distributes the puck very well and fills in on defense. I like it, and I think it's got a chance. Cahoon, yeah, I liked his defensive game a lot tonight. Very good with the with the defensive sticks, uh, cutting out passes and, and uh, hustling back to get into the lanes and, uh, and, get, uh, and get a stick in the lane to, uh, 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 you know, to disrupt... Passes. I think it was he. I, it's buried in my notes that I'll I'll go through as I'm doing the player grades. But I think it was he that came hard back to get a to get a 
Uh, no, wait, that was Yamamoto I'm thinking of, but it came really hard back to uh, um, break up a three-on-two with a hustling hard back check. But uh, Cahoon did, the, did that sort of thing uh, on two or three occasions, and he contributed to two McDavid goals by plays that he made around the Edmonton blue line, as, as you've already pointed out. So uh, he... Uh, uh, he seemed to compliment him pretty well, and he was—he was—you could see he was kind of ramping, ramped up himself with the opportunity, and he came out skating and and bringing his best game. I thought, and he played it for most of the game. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if it works, Bruce. Um, what's your second good thing? Yeah, well, I, this order, but this is really my first good thing, most best, most bestest <laughs> good thing ever. Uh, an, another absolutely dominant performance by the great uh, Connor McDavid, uh, who who played a season low sixteen minutes and three seconds tonight. So he didn't really see the ice all that much. All he did was in those sixteen minutes score uh, uh, a, a phenomenal hat trick. Uh, add, a, add a helper, uh, four points plus four, uh, another game-winning goal. I think that's his 11th of the season now, for what that's worth. In a game like this, the winner is kind of incidental. But uh, uh, he's made, he's earned a lot of his winners by breaking ties in late in the third period. So we'll give him the odd bonus one like this. And just all over the all over the ice. He led the Oilers with seven shots on net. Uh, no other forward had more than three. Uh, and he was just buzzing. I mean, most of those shots were, you know, it's either breakaways, semi-breakaways. He was just all around the puck, all around the net. And the three goals he scored, I mean, it was like that stick of his was a wand in this game. I mean, he's, I don't know how he got the first one. Like he had to reach in and chip it from a bad angle in the backhand and get it up and over and into the net from a bad angle. It just sort of, kind of looked like a, a sort of a wild whack at the puck from the side. And the next thing you know, it's in the net and you look at the replay and he did exactly what he was trying to do. <laughs> just, you know, get it up off the ice and on the target and uh, bingo. So that was the, uh, uh, that was his uh, his first goal, uh, which was, in fact, the game winner. Uh, the second one that I really liked was that one where he took that long pass from uh, Cahoon. And he came in on a, this was like seconds after he'd been robbed on, on a breakaway. Uh, and uh, it had been set up by both his line mates, Cahoon and Pugliarvi, and I think one of the defensemen as well. And then 30 seconds later, Cahoon feeds Dries, or feeds McDavid, and he comes in on the left side, and he wound up as if he was going to take a slap shot, and then he didn't shoot it, and he held the puck for like an extra quarter or eighth of a second, changing the shooting angle, and then he kind of uh, disguised, I think, also the shooting angle, and he fooled Hellebuck entirely. Hellebuck thought he was going for one of the corners, and McDavid instead uh, bounced it off his pad and through the five hole. And he, he fooled him with the delay. I think the speed of the shot was just one of those ones. Tonight he was like one of those baseball pitchers that's got, you know, six different deliveries. And, and 
he's got four different pitches that he can each throw at multiple different speeds and and the batters are always off balance well he had hell of a totally off balance and this goal was an exceptional example of that this was a goal that he reminded me he specifically reminded me of wayne gretzky and i don't say that very often but wayne used to do that to goalies drive him nuts with his his release point and his he'd hold the puck while he was moving and changing the shooting angle and then they wouldn't really tell when it was coming off his stick and it would go right along the ice like this one did and beat them and uh, that's what uh, that's what McDavid did on this one and then of course the third one was the play where uh, Winnipeg gifted him the puck with a little help from Cahoon who kind of pressured the defenseman but Winnipeg's defense had a bit of a tough night and uh, it was uh, off to the races for McDavid and he looked over his shoulder long enough to see that he had plenty of time and then he made just a ridiculous series of stick handles and dangles and deeks and and uh, eventually he shot and Hellebuck kind of stayed with him and he even got a piece of the shot but he was unable to to hang and and uh, keep it from uh, dribbling over the goal line for to complete the hat trick and uh, uh, just a, a marvelous array of goals three very different goals in terms of how McDavid managed to get the darn puck into the yeah. Uh, on that last one, he was twit- he was twitching so much on that last one because he was like <laughs> Mark the Bird Fit Fidrick Fidrich. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it was. It's he he. I don't I don't remember his goal scoring rate in other seasons. I don't know if this is higher, but he does seem to be varying his shots a lot more this year. There's a there's a cleverness uh, in terms of tricking the goalie. That he's engaging in, that he's taken to a different level in terms of his game. So um, he's obviously been thinking a lot about how to beat those goalies, and he is giving them nightmares. He now has 81 points in 46 games, so he's 19 points away from 100. He's got 10 games for 19 points. He only has to get 1.9 points now, Bruce, per game. And Seems possible, doesn't it? It, it so- suddenly seems very possible. A- and he doesn't have that Gretzky-esque uh, absolute mania for scoring because we don't see him. In many games, McDavid Gret- this year has had four or five points in the first couple periods, and then he's like shut it down, yep. like tonight. Gretzky would always have two two or three more in the third period <laughs> on those games. <laughs> so, But that's not McDavid's MO, so that, that he doesn't do that. Nonetheless... He has got a real shot at this at this point. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a great thing to follow in this last part of the season. Yeah, well he's had in the last four games two, three, three, and four points. So twelve points in his last four games. So he's not exactly uh slowing down. And against the Jets now on the season. He scored in the individual games three, two, 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 and now four. Like he's had at least two points in eight games out of eight against Winnipeg. And Winnipeg, this just in, they're a pretty good team. They got the Besson Trophy winning goalie on their team. And McDavid has just rung them up game after game. If he can get one night where he gets like a five-point night um, in the next little while, that's going to... All right, anyway, let's... uh... Bruce, yeah. my other good thing is, you know, is the line combinations. And um, I thought the Ryan McLeod, Archibald shoreline looked okay. I liked Haas, Neil, and, and Chase on just fine. Um, 
like Speedy Haas in between those two guys. I like the McDavid line. Just so crucial to find the right line mates to play with Connor McDavid. Again, it's been a, a very difficult thing for this team to do. Maybe they're onto something here. And of course, I love seeing the dynamite line together. And this was the first game where they kind of looked like the dynamite line. They look good. And <laughs> Ryan Nugent Hopkins in one game back with the dynamite line. I think this is probably their third game together this year. Uh, he's now in one game, he doubled his number of primary assists. And this time it didn't go off his skate. As, as you mentioned it uh, before we got on the air, you reminded me his first primary assist this year at even strength came off his skate, went to uh, uh, Josh Archibald. Did you say against Ottawa? Tyler Ennis. Tyler Ennis for a goal against Ottawa. This was well, McDavid this, wasn't even on the ice all the time he spent with McDavid. Not never once did he pass it to McDavid or anyone else on the line. And for, no one for a shot that went in the net. Yeah, and no one expected that. And and I no I, I thought they would have some success together. RNH. I was, I just thought that the, the Oilers would be a better team with the dynamite line on one you know out there part of the time, and then McDavid on the other part. Then you have two things that are driving yep. the opposition crazy. Yep. This is what the Oilers need, Bruce. If they're going to win in the playoffs, they need two lines that are going to drive the opposition crazy. They just can't have one. So the Dynamite line, uh, this was their first good game together. Nugent Hopkins looked more like himself tonight making plays. He hit the post a couple times, especially on a two-on-one. And his feed to Dreisaitl was magic. I just love that play. And I hope to see it in the next uh, 10 games as the regular season clo- closes out again and again. And again, this this line, as I've said before, it takes each of these players who have a s- tremendous amount of skill, but the the combination, the, it, it's more than the sum of its parts. Together, they create magic out there, and we saw that turn out on that goal at least. And um, they got a little zone time now and then. That's what they really specialize in, and that give-and-go zone time. And uh, going forward, I hope to see a lot more of it. Yeah, that play by by the Nuge, it was about three good plays rolled into one. First of all, he was in good defensive position. And when uh, I think it was Derek Forbord of the Jets kind of lost the handle of the puck inside Edmonton's zone, Nuge just pounced and he chipped it by him and he was gone past him on the two-on-one. And he played it just right, like he held it just the right amount of time and fed the perfect pass over to, to Leon, who absolutely rifled one of his patented one-timers home. I mean, maybe that's what Nuge was missing, was uh, was the Leon one-timer that even the great McDavid doesn't have a release quite as all-powerful as that uh, as that dry title one-timer. Man, did he rocket that one into the net from range. Like, you know, he wasn't like 10 feet out. He was probably top of the circle or not much closer than that when he let that one fly and... Hellebuck had no chance. It was by him. Uh, so, but, uh, you know, it was perfectly teed up by uh, uh, by uh, Nugent Hopkins. And there's no reason, you're right, that he shouldn't be able to make plays like that once in a while. And, and you know, if he's got a long record as a good passer. And what's happened to his passing game this year is a bit of a mystery, to be frank. And, and maybe it's just a matter of good passes that, leading to shots that just haven't gone in for whatever reason. And that's, you know, that's bound to correct itself. Uh, regress to the meat, as they say in the Arlogosphere. And uh, he certainly found the meat of uh, Leon's big paddle for that uh, 
for that rocket. So uh, that was uh, that was fun to see. I yelled when that one went in. That was good. <laughs> it is astonishing to think of how little success he had with McDavid this year. And we've talked about it in the past. I just I just do write it off. I just think it's very difficult to play with Connor McDavid. He's such a unique player and essentially a soloist. I mean, he does pass. He's not a selfish player. Oh. But he just does so much alone with the puck. That's his game. That's what and and uh, he he will dish it off in the end. So you you really have to be either the guy who gets him the puck early on and then just kind of fills the lane, or you have to be the guy at the end who can who can drill in the shot right mm-hmm. at the end, like Drysaitel can, right? And maybe Pulleyarvi is going to get there. But other than those two kinds of players, y- you know, all your other offensive skills in, in some ways are a little bit wasted when you're out there with him because he doesn't really need you to do those things. He's going to do them. So I'm going to just, I'm just going to suggest that it wasn't the perfect fit for a player like Nugent Hopkins, who, who had a lot more to give and wasn't able to give it and didn't have the one thing that McDavid really needed, which was, is a shooter and still needs a shooter. Maybe, maybe it'll be Pulley RV. We'll see. Uh, Your bad thing, Bruce. Yeah, I'm starting with her bad thing from an Oilers perspective. Uh, so I, I'm going to kind of bail on that and, and just label this a real bad night for the Winnipeg Jets who are in a real bad streak right now. They're a good hockey team and they showed good things at moments, but boy, are things going awry for them. And they've now lost four straight games at home, uh, two each against the two top teams in the uh, uh, North Division, which uh, Oilers passed the Jets with tonight's win and moved into second place with the game in hand. So <clears throat> this was a this was a standings changing game, and the Jets. Uh, I thought their back end looked poor, and that's been identified as being a weakness. And they had some a uh, couple of pretty massive blunders. I mentioned the one by Forbort, and this guy Tucker Pullman, uh, who's also playing. You know, basically top four minutes. He played 19 minutes tonight, and uh, he was way out of position on at least one goal. Like, you know, just nowhere to be found in the, in the coverage. And, and uh, uh, between those things and the other bad news that the Jets got with uh, the absence of Adam Lowry, and now today the news that Nikolai Ehlers, a fantastic player, is out for at least the rest of the regular season. It just all around was a bad day for the Winnipeg Jets, so I'm going to bestow on them uh, without prejudice. Uh, they're my bad thing from this game. Sorry, Jets fans. Ehlers, is there uh, 46 points in 47 games for Nikolai Ehlers? He has the most point per, per game. He is such a fantastic, lightning-quick attacker. He More than any other Jets player, he scares me when he has the puck. Uh, just because of that that blistering speed. Miranda uh, Tash, who's, who covers the Jets for the Athletic, yeah, uh, he got his start in the Orlogosphere when he ran under the name of Showerhead. Now he's a very respected hockey writer and commenter for the Athletic. Murat t- referred to uh, Ehlers as being a zone entry machine. And as he said it, I was sort of, yep, yep, I just came. You see that guy? He's got the puck on the stick. He's in the zone. And he's creating from within the zone. And they're so going to miss that. And I certainly missed it tonight. My bad thing is just a small thing, but I've seen this small thing a few too many times. It's, is it written into Tyson Berry's contract that he has to have one bad pinch per game leading to a two-on-one against? 
and and it's kind of I feel kind of it's kind of pick a yoon in a way to pick on him for the play, but it was just another, it was in the third period the game's over and he how many times have we seen this same replay where he tries to make some kind of pinch or force the play in the neutral zone? It's usually in the neutral zone and um, he just gets caught out on a two on one and it happened again. So he, he has been rough defensively. He's a very good offensive puck mover. He's really can pass that puck. And I, and I, and I think teams need that kind of player. Obviously the Oilers need have been desperate for that kind of player, but it's these, he just, it's, Bruce, these errors are unforced errors. He doesn't have to do these things. Right. And yet he does them again and again and again. Why? I don't know why. Well, especially with a big lead, you'd expect error on the side of caution, right? Uh, uh, and, you know, don't give him any freebies kind of thing. And and that was a freebie of a two-on-one because he got kind of lost in space there in the in the neutral zone. And it does happen. He did, he did a lot more right than he did wrong tonight. He did. I'm not going to be giving him a bad grade because of that one play, but it no. was it was a, you know it was symptomatic of uh, of things that we've seen before, and I expect we will see again. <laughs> yeah, it's in the playoffs on a big goal. Uh, maybe it's just because he's a smaller guy and he just his reach like his reach isn't big enough to win battles. Like you know, a lot of pucks go through him into the slot into the uh, Oilers in defensive slot in front of Mike Smith or Koskinen. And, uh, and sometimes I just think it's because he's just, he has less reach, just not as good. But on the other hand, he's Chris Russell is the same size and he makes about half the number of defense major defensive mistakes as Tyson Berry. So it's more than just size. Bruce, your number. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go with, uh, with a couple of milestones tonight. This was a milestone kind of game. And, I mean, so obviously one of those numbers is one, and that's for young Ryan McLeod making his NHL debut, and a successful one it was for uh, for the youngster who uh, I thought acquitted himself very well indeed. And he was, uh, you know, I thought he, he played a good 200-foot game, and, I mean, what more what more can you want? Uh, he was good in the, in the D zone, was in good position. He cleared the puck out of out of trouble a few times. He skated out of trouble a few times. Uh, and he just seemed to fit in pretty seamlessly on the line with two sort of mid-career solid veterans, but, you know, hardly superstars in uh, in Devin Shore and Josh Archibald. And I thought they were a pretty effective line. Uh, he had uh, uh, he had uh, 60% on the face-off dot. He had a shot on that. He had a hit. And just, I thought, overall, good game for him. Uh, second one, Alex Chason scored his 100th career goal, uh, which is not a huge number for you know for a goal scorer, but it's just in. Alex Chason's not really a goal scorer. He is a grinder, <laughs> and he has been a grinder for a number of years. He works his ass off for his 10 or 12 goals that he gets every year, and he's done it enough years now that he's made it all the way up to 100. And I tell you what, 100 goals in the NHL, that is a career. And that is a real nice, uh, uh, that's a real nice uh, uh, milestone to reach. So congratulations to you, Alex Chason. And then uh, finally, uh, uh, way higher up the food chain, uh, the great Leon Dreisaitl, uh, who tonight uh, cemented his place in German hockey lore uh, yet further by becoming the highest scoring German national in the history of the NHL uh, with his... uh, 
wicked one-timer. That was his second point of the night. His first was a great steal and backhand feed that was by Magic out of the corner on the first goal. And then that uh, one-timer was his second point of the uh, game, and it was the 488th point of his NHL career, putting him one past Marco Sturm, who was a very fine player for a very long time. Marco Sturm played 938 games in the NHL, so nearly a thousand game career, and he nearly got to 500 points. And that was a good sort of two-way player for a long time. Well, Leon, he played his 468th game tonight. So literally half, actually half minus one, the number of games Marco Sturm took to score that number of points. Leon got there in half the time. And so uh, a real nice, uh, real nice milestone of that type of, you know, he's now the highest scoring German in NHL history. So hats off to you, Leon Dreisaitl. And so some some nice milestones at a number of levels, son. And uh, I guess even a, a small milestone to Dmitry Kulikov for his first game as an Edmonton Oiler, and he acquitted himself well. So I'm going to be talking about milestone night in my headline of the player grades tonight. It's interesting, uh, the Germans, they... Uh they have come on when you mentioned German hockey lore, I was thinking, well, there's not a lot of history there, but, um, Bruce, that hockey playing nation is moving up the ranks and could start to make, you know, move into the top rank, you know, start to edge past the Czech Republic, Slovakia, Switzerland, start to challenge, uh, the big countries, Sweden, Finland, Canada, Russia, USA. I mean, we've seen the USA rise up right in the last 30 years. Germany seems to be on the same trajectory with ever more players taken in the first round, ever yeah. more players who are um, making a mark in pro hockey. So Leon Dreisaitl is at the vanguard of that. I also thought Ryan McLeod had a very strong game. Um, he, what I really liked, he, we had, we've seen him in Bakersfield and in the Swiss League carry the puck with confidence. We saw that a couple times tonight where he just got the puck and he went and he made moves with it. He hung onto them. The puck and he was making plays. He looked like an NHL hockey player. Sure, he did. And Alex Jason, I just, I just, he's a, a favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. And to see him score a goal like that, and we, and it was a, it was a, he will beauty. remember that goal because it was a beauty. Leon Dreisaitl kicked it off with just a fantastic play in the corner where he's he's kind of pinned there with another player and he works the puck to his stick and. It's seemingly a no-look pass <laughs> on his backhand to Adam Larson, right in the slot, right on the money. And then, then Adam Larson, cool hand Larson, slides a fantastic, smart, uh, deft little pass over to Cahoon, who, uh, over to Chason, who slammed it in the net on a one-timer. It was a, it was a great goal. goal and a significant goal. You know, that was the, uh, that the first goal of the game. Yes, it was. So this is a big goal, you know, at a, at a key time in the game. So good work, Alex Chason. Bruce, my number is 0. .630. It's the winning percentage this year. Okay. And that's significant because it's higher than, you know, they had that great season in 2016-17 that turned out to be a bit of a one-off. That year they were 628. Mm-hmm. Um, last year in mm-hmm. their comeback season, when they were starting to build towards what they have now, they were 585. So this 630 winning percentage, it, it represents just a, a building on success, uh, 
a franchise which is announcing itself, I think, as a Stanley Cup contender. And I don't know if they're going to, what they're going to do in the playoffs this year. I hope they get out of the Canadian. I think that they can. I'm more confident of that now, seeing these new line combinations. Um, but I just think, again, we need to remind ourselves, these are the good old days. And I, and I had just a little feeling of sadness, actually, when you said how many games Dreisaitl has played already. Because <laughs> as we're eating through the, yeah. this great time when we get to see Leon Dreisaitl in his prime with Connor McDavid, and, and these days are fleeting. We know that from having lived through the 1980s, how fleeting these things are and, and can go away suddenly. So um, 6.30, though, that's a, that is a damn good hockey team. The Edmonton Oilers are a damn good hockey team. And they're coming together right now. The coach has made, I think, some of the right moves here. Um, we'll see if Kulikov works out. I think McLeod's going to work out. I thought Kulikov played um, a, a solid game. There's a few passes that I thought were kind of iffy, but um, we'll, we'll see. I, I'm just, I, I'm, uh, I'm glad they have that extra depth. He's clearly an NHL defenseman, yeah. and it's always good to have lots of those. So, because um, you never know who's going to get hurt. And he's, he's a, he, there was one play where he won a puck in the corner and he just had a bit of physical contact and he just kind of slammed the guy into the boards. It's always mm -hmm. nice to see that defenseman who can just slam the opposing forward into the boards, win a battle, because you need to break the cycle um, against good teams. And he can, I think that's one thing we can count on him doing. Yeah, yeah, a couple of, as you say, passes went awry and at least one of them, I kind of wrote off to a miscommunication between him and his partner where that, you know, they're just learning each other. I mean, sure, yeah. they're both NHL veterans, but they, they don't, they're not going to know each other's every move in their first game together. And I think, uh, I'm not sure if it was Kulikov or Larson zigged where he should have zagged or one of them zigged where the other guy thought he was going to zag or whatever. And it kind of it went from a situation where the Oilers had the puck to a slightly dangerous uh, Winnipeg possession and they proceeded to shut that down. So it didn't, you know, it didn't amount to much in the end. And, just a, a one or two semi-mystifying uh, passes, but um, like I say, I think that some of that will be ironed out when they get used to each other. But I saw a lot more good than bad out of uh, out of Mr. Kulikov tonight, and uh, uh, including uh, four hits in this game. He had a he had a uh, um, you know a solid, uh, not quite mistake-free, but a, a very sort of positive uh, Oilers debut. He's going to help. I also like Tippett going with Caleb Jones over Chris Russell. I didn't think that was going to happen. And I said that on the last podcast. I just thought, yep. you know, Dave Tippett loves him some veteran hockey defenseman. He loves those veterans. And um, I just thought for sure that, that uh, Jones would be coming out, but uh, not to be. And I, and, and I was glad with the decision before the game. And I wrote that because I want to, first of all, we know what we have. The Oilers know what they have in Chris Russell. They still have got to figure out what they're going to do with Caleb Jones before the playoffs and before the expansion draft. So they've got to play him. So it's a good idea to play him. I also just like the inclination to go with an offensive player over a defensive player when, you know, all things being, when you're weighing things out. That's what, that's what I hope to see from the coaches to get those offensive players to play better mm -hmm. defense. And that's because I think that's how you're going to win in the playoffs. You're going to need the players who can break the game open and set up McDavid for a breakaway or, or, or move the puck. Cause I don't think the Oilers team is going to win on defense in the playoffs. They're going to win on the attack. So, um, 
yeah, good move there. And I and I liked Jones and Bear, although they had that one horrible shift at the end, <laughs> at the end of the game where Sh- I think Mark Shifley had three great A chances or. And was wrong, yeah. yeah, and uh, they, they were running around a little bit there, but that was the whole that the game was over, and that was the whole line yeah. out there. So, yeah, they got smoked on shot metrics, but I I like their game actually. Uh, Jones and Bear and uh, Jones yeah. Jones, I thought he was skating really well. I thought he was competing hard, like he was he was hitting, he was getting in the lanes, he was uh, uh, winning pucks uh, and moving them out. Didn't have a lot going in the offensive zone, but uh, I thought he he was, uh, you know, played a kind of a take charge style out there, and that was it was good to see. And and uh, a lot of it's just between the two of them, you know, movement of the puck among themselves because they're both quite capable of making the pass or skating it out. And if they use each other and get a puck safely to the open guy, then the open guy is going to be able to do some damage. And I, I saw some of that tonight where they, they combine together as a, as a pairing. You know, in the next, we have the 10 games coming up. I'm, I'm really, I'm hoping to see the one big change I'd like to see is Evan Bouchard get him some games, maybe even starting next game. You know, why not give um, Tyson Berry a, a game off to rest? Why not give Ethan Bear a game off and see what uh, Bouchard and Jones can do on the bottom pairing? Uh, I, I'm hoping to see that. It doesn't have to be next game, but I hope uh, we see it soon. Yeah, I think there's there, there's a, a kind of a free space for experimentation coming up. Uh, next week they play four games in a row against the Canucks. And the Canucks are, um, uh, I mean, I'm not saying they're free space on the bingo card, but uh, those are, those are they're not playing against a team they might meet in the playoffs. Uh, and, and they should have enough latitude um uh, in the standings and so on, that they can experiment here and there. And uh, bringing on a guy like Bouchard in those games would be good. Now, there are some limitations. They're only allowed to uh, make uh, uh, four recalls during the uh, since after the trade deadline. And they've already used two of them. The first one was on Joachim Negard, as I understand it. The first game after the trade deadline, they called him up. I couldn't quite figure that one out. Uh, and the second one was on Ryan McLeod. Uh, they first recalled him to the taxi squad, but as soon as they activated him to play in tonight's game, he was the second one. They've also activated James Neal, but specifically to replace Jujar Kara, who was injured. And as long as Neal comes out when Kara comes back, uh, that's considered an emergency recall. It doesn't count against the four. So they have two left. And where they were really starting to run into problems was uh, running into the uh, the cap, salary cap ceiling. Uh, but with today's announcement that they've placed Zach Cassian on long-term injured reserve for basically the rest of the regular season, that should give them lots of latitude that they can act if they can use all four. And I think they will. I think they're going to... They're gonna, bring on a couple of players and, and give them some games. And uh, the only issue is they got more players that they could activate than places to put them or, you know, than, than moves that they can make. So if they use one on Evan Bouchard, then they've only got one left and they've got, you know, guys like, uh, like Tyler Ennis, Kyle Turris, that, you know, in the perfect world, all these guys that get a game or two before the playoffs, well, they're going to pick and choose among them as to who gets to get, who gets to play. Alrighty. Well, uh, Wednesday against the Winnipeg Jets again. 
Mm-hmm. And you got the game grades tonight. Got to get right in the. I do. I do. Oh yeah. Oh, here's one more. This is this is my bonus number twelve. Edmonton scored twelve consecutive goals against the Winnipeg Jets. They scored the last four in the four-two win here in uh, uh, in March. They shut them out three nothing in Winnipeg last time. And then they took a five nothing lead in tonight's game. So Winnipeg's probably got Edmonton uh, living rent free in their heads right about now. Yeah, and Toronto. <laughs> They're not in a happy mood in Winnipeg, so. Probably not. All righty, Bruce. Well, thanks for talking tonight. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.